welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 6, Episode 21, which is titled Such Sweet Sorrow. The episode aired on May 11th in the year 2000. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? Well, before we get into the past, I want to start out by wishing a happy birthday to our listener, Allie M., because this episode is airing on her birthday. Happy birthday! Assuming we did our calendar right, and Daniel didn't lie to me about (laughs) this this No, this this one should be, because I uploaded the other two today, so yeah, this one should be on the 16th. Yeah. So, happy birthday, Allie. Happy birthday! We we didn't forget, I wrote it down. (laughs) But now we will go into the actual headlines. Um, The population of India officially hit 1 billion, Today it stands at 1.38 billion, with Mumbai being the most populated city at just under 12.5 million residents. That's uh, a lot Noah of people. Noah Wiley. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Lizzie. No, I was just going to say, that's a lot of people. That's, yeah, I'm good. I'm set. Um, Noah Wiley marries his first wife, makeup artist Tracy Warbin. They had two children together, but ultimately divorced in 2010. Uh, yes, Russell Crowe, Americans are entertained, as Gladiator, also starring Joaquin Phoenix and Connie Nielsen, debuts and takes the box office crown. And Lizzie's too lazy to come up with something clever this week, but Maria Maria by Santana and the product G&B is still the number one song. As for what else was on that evening, I hope you like Friends and Frasier. At 8 o'clock, Friends with the episode The One with the Ring... I can only assume that one of them is getting married and not that this one involves hobbits, uh, but uh, I'm sure if it did, Lord <laughs> would know about it. Uh, at 8.30, we have a Friends rerun, uh, not looking great for the Michael Chiklis sitcom. Uh, and at 9, Frasier with the episode Dark Side of the Moon. At 9.30, another Frasier rerun. This week's episode has a whopping 32.6 million viewers tuning in. Directed and written by John Wells. Uh, for directing, this is his third out of nine. And uh, written uh, for writing, this is his 18th out of 32. I would tell you about previous ones of his uh, that he has done for both of those categories, but IMDb was down when I went to go do my notes tonight, so uh, you don't get that. Uh, but, you know, he's the showrunner. You should know him by now. Uh, and he was also <laughs> he was also nominated for an Emmy for direction for this episode. Uh, and as you might imagine, this episode is jam-packed. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that is left on the cutting room floor of this episode, which we will get into as we go along. Uh, but we also have three principal characters not appearing in this episode. No Romano, no Cleo, and no Benton this week. Huh. No Benton oh, yeah. is very weird. Yeah, I think he's mentioned, um, but not seen. I think they mentioned that he has switched with Corday for the day. Okay, then. So I have a question for you, too. Yeah. I have a question for you, too. Are you fans of the of the 90s artist Bush? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Bush in all uh, instances. <laughs> like, presidents, uh, 90s bands, you know, let your imagination run wild. Gro- but just, you know, it's... Grooming habits. <laughs> just, it, this is oh a... Oh, God. You know, not big on the Bush. Lauren, I love you. Um, and you too, Daniel. I love everyone. Uh, but yeah, we open with a... You need a good... You need a good... Mm, need a good montage every now and then set to a grungy Bush song. I, I really thought you were going to say you need a good Bush. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Am I right, ladies? Uh, um, that made no sense. <laughs> oh. 
Anywho, but what's the, what is the contextual bush of this episode? Uh, contextual bush is a montage starting with Carter laying wide awake in a very fancy room. Mr. Richman, ooh la la. Um, yeah, nice use of the early aughts artist Bush as he wanders around the guard, the grounds and smokes a cigarette. So things are clearly going perfectly good for one John Carter MD. As, as the connoisseur of Chicago geography that you are, what a fantastical Chicago suburb could this Carter estate possibly exist in? Like, it, like it's a palace. It's not just a big house. Like... <laughs> I'm just having trouble imagining, having been to Chicago, I'm having trouble imagining where you could fit a compound of this size in Chicago. I mean, depending on where he, I mean, if it is a suburb, it's, there's plenty of suburbs that this could be, honestly. Yeah. Um, but in the city, probably Lincoln Park. Because he never makes mention that it's like a bit, like a long ass haul from Gamma's yeah. place to the hospital. He never really gripes about that. So I feel like it has to be close to where County canonically is could be in like there's a really like older older area of the gold coast mm. like near the lake but like that's nothing nothing quite but to they the have, size but they have like grounds yeah, yeah i was just it has like, to be a suburb this is really the first time we've ever gotten a chance to see other than just interiors of the the carter estate and i was just like damn like this is this is more than just a big house yeah there's no way that something this size would reasonably be in this city yeah. yeah, with the grounds they have and everything, he's got to be out in the suburbs. Yeah. And is this also the first time we've ever seen him smoking on screen? Yes. I don't think we've ever seen it. Even I at his most so. stressed, I don't think I've ever, I can ever recall seeing Carter smoke before. Anyway, uh, but the other part of the montage is Carol waking up to the girls crying and she picks one girl up and tells the other one to go back to sleep. And motherhood is so hard. I wonder what she's going to do about it. You almost sounded like you were being insincere about motherhood being hard. So like, no, shout out. we I, know motherhood was, is hard. It was more. It was more about like the oh goodness, what's yeah. she gonna do about it? Right. Uh. <sighs> uh, but then we see Abby is woken up in the on call room by Hale, and she only got to sleep maybe twenty minutes. But she goes out to the ambulance bay with Hale and Lydia, and she's like, "Is this some kind of hazing situation?" And Hale's like, "You're younger than us." prettier than us and skinnier than us and Lydia responds we hate you and it's just it's a good good bonding moment and I, I love yeah. it it's it's just, just good it's so excellent I mean we get Abby gets her little like sort of uh, main cast rite of passage moment where she wakes up in the on call room uh, which is always a nice little touch but then I, something about the framing of the way mm-hmm. when they come out of those ambulance doors there's something feels vi- this very mundane moment gets a very epic sort of set dressing as they're walking towards you with the doors perfectly framed in the background i just really love the way they set that up yep and something i want to note here is like when Hale goes to wake abby up she's like should i get dr dave instead and abby's like yeah. no i'm up i'm up and so like dave being asleep is going to be very important later and Dave technically being her superior, like her yes, uh, her resident, not su- yes, yes, superior, but like her supervisor, her, yeah, her supervisor yeah. for this episode. Yep. Then we go over to Mark is going through old photos at his house, and I want to note there seems to be some very interesting camera work in the opening parts of this episode. Like it felt a little floatier; they were mm-hmm. kind of lingering on stuff a little bit longer, and it kind of w- it went with the music a little bit. It was just. Nice little touch that I noticed. Um, and then we see we see young Rachel. She's sleeping in Mark's bed. Like, hey, my little, my little baby Rachel. 
and we noticed no bangs. Um, it barely even sounded like twinkles either with how soft this intro comes in. Yeah, Daniel, do we do we have an official decision from you being the bang and twinkle master of this podcast? <laughs> uh, I listened with headphones on, and it was pretty clearly bang. I mean, uh, twinkles uh, yeah. in my yeah. in my ears, but it is a little bit softer. I think the whole and I, I have to give credit. I don't remember off the top of my head what their username is, and we will get to it when we get to our wall of listener responses at the end. But somebody pointed out a very interesting and very like. This might be the best listener response we've ever gotten for any episode uh, because this person pointed out the uh, plethora of parallels from this episode and the storm. Um, this episode has a lot of parallels from and and like this person brought receipts. So shout out to them. Ooh. Like they, they brought cl- I didn't include those in here because they don't translate very well. But like on the Twitter thread for this episode they brought receipts of like clips and screenshots and like there's there's some definitive parallels that if you're looking at them couldn't possibly be coincidental especially considering that john wells wrote both episodes um but i think that that has a lot to do with the sort of floaty nature of the uh opening sequence here i mean obviously we didn't have like a big bombastic 90s song bringing us into the storm but it had that sort of same kind of like floaty quality to it as Doug is getting ready in the the PZR that in that episode like it has a lot of those same sort of uh, qualities to it so but we'll talk about that as we go along now let's go to our first audio clip here Uh, Luke is shooting hoops in the ambulance bay we love our good basketball scene uh, when Carol arrives hey hey I didn't know you played basketball. I don't. (laughs) Hello, Tess. Did you let your mommy sleep for a change? No, she did not. Did I make you angry? The flowers on your birthday? No, they were beautiful. They weren't animal crackers, huh? Heard about that, huh? You're still in love with him? I don't know. You know, I think I'm still too angry with him to think straight. I would think so. Why? No, it wasn't like that. Doug didn't know I was pregnant when he left. He didn't come back when he found out. Well, it wasn't all Doug. I could have gone with him. He asked me to. Why didn't you? Pride. I wanted him to stay here for me. I thought I should be at least that important to him. I still love my wife. It is time to get on with my life. Hey. Let's help your mommy get inside, huh? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Like a cowboy. I love Luca's baby talk voice. Right. I want to put S tier quality content every time it comes up. I want to put that little cowboy sound he makes there at the end. I want to put that next to the uh, Mark doing the chicken sound from (laughs) earlier this season. (laughs) 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 We can make STT dubstep with that. Jesus Christ. Uh, Oh, so Carol's totally normal not her head is totally in chicago she's 100 committed to raising oh, these babies yeah. alone and in the city of chicago in the state of illinois in the country of the united states of america right i love that he straight up asks did i upset you and he acknowledges that there is somebody else in her life 
he kind of shits on it and is like, you gotta move on. But he at least knows, like, okay, this is, like, a thing. And, Mm -hmm. like, realizes just how important Doug really is to her with, like, the animal cracker thing. So I do like that he's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Like, he's still very friendly with her. He doesn't freeze her out over this, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, he could very easily venture into nice guy territory with this whole thing. Yeah. Like, and he doesn't, and, and he that's doesn't. why that's why he's great. Yeah. Uh, well, we go from there into our first uh, patient of the episode, Abby, doing a pelvic exam on a woman uh, whose name we don't get right now, but I think we get later. Um, I just wrote her Kathy. down as patient at this point. Kathy, is that yeah, what it is? I think um, so. But uh, she's giving her the pelvic exam, gets complimented for her technique of warming the speculum before she... Uh, <laughs> before she dives in uh learned a few tricks from her time in ob which is another kind of theme that will come up with abby in this episode thinking that her her experience in ob is prepping her for uh what she's going to face in the er uh they are in the process of testing the woman for stds uh but at the moment are suspecting that it might just be pelvic inflammatory disease and our patient here is played by actress angela landis who appeared in stuff like bicentennial man gray's anatomy and anger management tried looking up because i'm because i'll have you folks i'll have you folks know i'm officially to the part of the pandemic where i'm in my third watch through of gray's anatomy <laughs> and i'm totally sucked in again and i hate it remember I remember like, that chart in the aughts where they would uh, rate the terror threat of the day with colors like i feel like we should have a chart like that for <laughs> lizzie but would it, but instead it's what <laughs> what rewatch of gray's anatomy is she on <sighs> lucky number three yeah, she plays a and I'm not, flight attendant in some random episode in, at the end of season 10. And I'm not home for it this sure. time, so thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I could still just be in the office. It's a, this is the good part about us having a having an office where my computer is. I can just watch Grey's Anatomy away from you. Anyway, uh, Mark is coming back to work today. And uh, we get the lovely line from, I believe it's Hale, it says, if we ever get any nastier, we'll have to call animal control. And uh, <laughs> let's find out uh, why she's saying that. Because Carrie's looking for Amira. Amira? Amira! Frank. Where's Amira? Got off at 7. Who are you? Frank. Personnel sent me down. You have any experience, Frank? 26 years as a Chicago cop. In medicine? Had my knee replaced about oh, six months this ago. This is great. What the hell are all those people doing out there? Sick, I guess. Well, thank you for that astute and penetrating observation, Frank. Why aren't they being seen by doctors? I don't know. I just got here. No docs. Abby's down in sutures. Dr. Malucci's here. I think he's asleep in exam one. What about Kovach? Foreign guy? Yes. He and some nurse came in together. They took her babies upstairs to daycare. Dr. Chan, Dr. Carter. Some people came in when I did. I think they're in the lounge. Okay, it's five after seven. Is there some kind of natural disaster that I'm unaware of? An earthquake or half of Chicago swallowed up by a giant sinkhole? Could you stop yelling at me? I was here on time. Well, Mark Green called, said he'd be in before 10. Had to go by the mortuary. Okay, hey, Lydia, you, do you still that rape whistle thing? Yeah. Get on the phone to everybody who's supposed to be here and scream on their machines that they're late. And if they answer, tell them they're fired. Rise and shine. Patients are waiting. Dr. Malucci, if I don't see you standing over a sick patient looking compassionate and engaged in the next 30 seconds, you're going to spend the next week doing nothing but disinfections and yeast infections. I'm up, Chief. I'm up. I'm good. I get call up search for 20 minutes and this whole place goes to hell. In the lounge? Uh-huh. She uses a whistle. So... The big, the big thing here, 
Oh, sorry, Lauren. Lauren had her hand up, so let's uh, let's go to her first. Two things. One, petition to have that be the clip that we put on Instagram, a piece of it for this episode. Because <laughs> holy shit, forget the big thing that happens in this episode. I want that forever. Uh. Um, two, we need to desperately tag friend of the show Troy Evans when this episode <laughs> comes up to celebrate his return. And three. It drives me nuts, n- not for any good discernible reason, but when Lydia says, oh, Mark Green called. Right? I don't like that either. Like, it should be Mark or Dr. Green, like, like or even Green. I'm glad somebody like, else when, was bothered by that. When do they ever do their full names like that? Yeah, I, like, I agree. Based on context clues, she don't Mark Mortuary. Okay, it's got to be Mark Green. Like, the, the full name thing bothered me. Okay, that's all my salient points. <laughs> Lizzie, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. As Lauren alluded to. Guess who's back? Back again. Frank is back. <laughs> Our racist friend. Our friend. Is it weird? Is it weird that I had a similar reaction to seeing Frank again as I did to when Lucy comes down the steps on the L at the beginning no. of season five? Like, no, no, it's I Frank. had the best, like, just effervescent well, joy feeling. Like, I was... I th- mm. I think for us, part of it is Troy Evans was, I believe, the first cast member we talked to. And we talked to him well before he was back as, like, true Frank, not pilot Frank. Right. And so we have been waiting for this moment to truly celebrate, like, oh, my God, we've talked to this gentleman. He was the first, like, he was one of the first people to give us a chance. So for me, at least, that was part of why it was. And also, I forgot how much of a goober they make him. Mm -hmm. And how young he looks in this first episode. Also true. Like, I was, yeah. you know, I, I sort of was expecting, like, you know, I, I remember how he looks in the pilot, but, like, I was expecting pilot Frank and then old Frank. I was not really expecting sort of middle... Middle-aged Frank. Yeah, middle-aged Frank here, like, where he's sort of in this middle ground. Um, but I was like just so head, happy to see him back. I was so happy to see him again. Like, and, again, like Lauren said, part of it is that, you know, we, we talked to him and he was one of the first people we got to talk to and that he's just one of the sweetest men on planet Earth. Like, just mm-hmm. Troy Evans, the man, is just – he is the man. Like, we, <laughs> I yeah. love Troy Evans. I love him so much. And that's, I think, part of what has made me love Frank that much more. And, like, yeah, he's our problematic fave. And, yeah, he's going to say awful shit over – and Jake is in the middle of, like – plowing his way through the, the middle seasons of the show and he cannot understand why we are enjoying like why we have this like weird obsession with frank and i don't know that i can explain it like i don't know that i can articulate it jake was like every time i think i like him he goes and says some racist ass shit and ruins it and it's like yeah i'm gonna be curious to see how all that ages now and we're all like i know isn't it great <laughs> like we're, we all are like he is just like he has that like problematic uncle quality to him of like yes he's awful in every possible way but there's some part of you that remembers that he's the guy that took you to the theme park when you were 10 like there's just some element of that that you can't let go of and i just i love him so much especially when like he talked about you know his was i believe it was him who was talking about his alcoholism and like his time in the drunk tank and when he was just like well shit Drunks can't be governor, but maybe I can just be an actor. Like, right. it's just, he, he, he just was such a genuine person that to be able to watch this now and go, oh. And, and him just talking like, about I, I how was... much, how much fun he had playing an asshole, like how, yeah. what joy he took out of getting to play such a like detestable character week after week. And, 
And how he and uh, Deezer and um, Abraham yeah. kept each other happy on set. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, it was all of those, and it was all those warm and fuzzy feelings that we didn't have for him beyond surface level when we watched the pilot. So it was almost like seeing this character. I mean, it is seeing this character for the first time, really, because in the pilot, he's just a throwaway, you know, one-off patient. Hey, but like, he's Carter's first patient. He is Carter's first patient. That's true. So that's some significance there. Yeah. For reference, folks, this Carter's first patient where he was trying to do an IV. Did he? I think he succeeded. He, event, he eventually succeeds, and he's like, can I move now? <laughs> does, I mean, it's a really good, like, and that's why Troy Evans is such a good working character actor, is because he can come in, do one scene, and he's the guy that you remember at the end of the movie, because it was like, man, he did a really good job. Um, he's So he's a perfect example of what it is to be, like, a working character actor. Yeah. Um, but to see him, like, get to really, like, flex his muscles and spread his wings in this moment, in this show, like, He's going to be with us. Is he there all the way to the end from here? I think so, right? I think he... Pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. If, yeah, or pretty close. I think there's a, a chunk there where he goes away like like one Jerry. Yeah. Mark yeah. I mean, I know I know. there's a lot of twists and turns to come with Frank and little moments that are going to like... Break. Like, there was a moment in this episode, and it's like a... It's, it's not... They don't... They aren't really doing anything together, but it was just him and Abby in a shot together. And I was like almost on the verge of tears like when when him and abby are on screen together because it's it, your your mind immediately flashes forward to that moment and yep. you're just like fuck like it's so good uh i'm just so he's happy another that piece, he's, he's another true piece of the puzzle yeah and a really underrated great of the mid-season greatness for me yeah really underrated piece of that puzzle like he, he may not be your you know uh, he might not be an Abby Lockhart or a Luka Kovac or any of these like big, big puzzle pieces we've been getting over the last season, but it's no less important. Like he's so important to the second half of the show. Yeah, yeah. I I'm sorry we got so excited about Frank. We didn't even talk about how much Laura Inez fucking crushes that dude. She's so good. This whole episode, really, she is on fire. And like, I just I I want to bottle her energy especially in this first scene like this first scene is just so electric and she's just absolutely killing it yes so good so then after carrie chews everybody else out she goes into the lounge and uh um well hold on jesus christ uh carter and chen are in the lounge as was mentioned and carter is looking rough which of course chen comments on because they're buddies and she's looking out for him and He's like, no, I just haven't been sleeping. And she's like, okay, well, okay. I hope you're okay. And um, Carrie pops in and yells at them both for not being ready at 7. She says, your shift starts at 7. That means you need to start seeing patients at 7, not walk in the door at 7. You need to be ready at 7 and just goes off on them and then leaves. And um, Dave gets some really disgusting patients for oversleeping. Uh, his whole episode is just gross patients. Like, that's just what he gets. And... Uh, Carrie mentions to them that they need to supervise Abby as the med student. Like, don't just let her run off on her own. You need to supervise. Your job as part of it is supervising and teaching. Make sure she's, you know, being supervised. Yeah. And speaking of Dave, one going back to the sound uh, clip for one second, underrated part of that is uh, him, the both his work with the physical comedy of hitting his head as he gets out of the bed, but also the Foley work on that, that ding as he hits the, the equipment coming out of the bed something about that sound was very satisfying 
Anyway, uh, speaking of Dave, he comments to Carter. He also comments to Carter how how rough that Carter looks. Um, again, Carter says he hasn't been sleeping, but Dave got tickets to Rage Against the Machine in the mosh pit. Hell yeah, or in the pit. Yeah, I'm assuming it will become a mosh pit because of Rage Against the Machine. But uh, Carter pops in the bathroom and seems very startled when someone else is there. Hmm. hmm. I wonder what could be happening. It's drugs. <laughs> but they do, it, like, it is sort of, you know, if you don't know, if you're not backseat driving, like, and watching with the benefit of hindsight, like, it does, it is a subtle touch of, like, him just saying, oh, I got to run to the bathroom. Like, it's, it's a little, a, just a little line that if you're not paying attention wouldn't mean anything and, to you. And him being jumpy because he was assaulted, so of course he'd be nervous about people behind him. Right. Exactly. Fair. So, yeah. But we know. Um benefit of hindsight uh but we go from there to our next uh patient mrs o'brien uh she was uh she's being brought in by the emts uh she was operated on for a bowel obstruction last month uh and she they're having trouble uh rousing her and lauren uh whose films are those whose films are those indeed uh and mrs o'brien here is a dnr i'm sure they won't ignore that uh the never no never 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 uh the husband and kids are sent off to go to the waiting room and the kids are extremely precocious and not precocious is not the right word but they're they're just they're adorable uh and the one girl in particular the older of the two girls uh i think she's talking to carol and she's like i brought her things that's my job when we go to the hospital and it's like this very like that thing when kids are like painfully older than their age because they've been through trauma like it's just it's a bummer um but we'll be checking back in with uh mrs o'brien throughout the episode uh mr o'brien the husband is probably the most notable of all of them uh he is played by actor louis mustillo uh mustillo mustillo i'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it but uh i think probably mustillo yeah he uh, appeared in stuff like one for the money the peacemaker and the sopranos he had a recurring role on the sopranos where he played a landscaper who got his ass kicked on a regular basis and as soon as i saw him i was like hey it's that guy he gets his ass kicked (laughs) a lot on the sopranos just finished watching that show and it's still great still Uh, haven't watched it and i'm gonna change that at some point if, if it kills me What's going to uh, happen first, me watching The Sopranos or Lizzie watching Stand By Me? Place your bets. Ooh. Why are we still on this? <laughs> <laughs> because we, I, arguably the most unified our audience has ever been has been in trying to convince Lizzie to watch Stand By Me. Like, they're all telling you to watch Stand By Me, Lizzie. Uh, but Carter is going to check on his next patient, uh, Mrs. Wyatt, who is uh, dealing with some burning when she urinates. And uh, she says that it usually clears up with cranberry juice, so we're thinking UTI here. Uh, at the same time, we're in that. I think we're in the room, are we not? Like we're in the I, the the Lucy I room. So. I think that might be the the room that they're in. Um, he's given a wheezing patient with a history of asthma, uh, who is also the first guest star that we've ever had on the show, uh, whose balls we have seen on screen. If you if you've ever <laughs> seen the movie Borat, uh, oh. oh, this <laughs> this gentleman. Uh, yes. Oh my God. It is that guy. Yeah, it is that guy. <laughs> now, I don't know. Those might have been stunt balls. I'm not sure. Those might have been. I, I don't think they were. Those might have been stunt you, balls. I thought you meant that we like saw them on the show. No, not in the episode, like, but uh, in there his. There was like a slip up. In his career, though, we have seen his balls. Um, 
Again, if Great. you've seen Borat. Cool. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but Carter's juggling both of these patients back and forth and turns uh, turns Chen down when she tries to help. And Chen looks rightfully concerned watching him uh, try to fumble through taking the history of both of them. Like, we're, it, we've moved on from Manic Carter phase from last episode to now it's like cry for help Carter in this episode. Like, he's just like red alert. Like, it's on his forehead. Like, this dude needs help. Um, our two patients here, Mrs. Wyatt, uh, are played by actress Gloria Gifford, who appeared in stuff like This Is Spinal Tap, Halloween 2, and 48 Hours. And uh, Mr. Papazia, the uh, asthma patient, he is played by actor Ken Dabitan, who appeared in Get Smart, SWAT, and his balls appeared in Borat. Along uh, with the rest of go... them, but his balls are what you remember. We... I am so lucky I remember so little of that movie. Um Bruno was the one that I watched more with my friends. That was so you a were choice. The one. Um, yep, I was the one. My friends and I were like the three. But so then Mrs. O'Brien, we go back over to her, and I don't think we mentioned she has um end stage cancer. Yes, uh, ovarian cancer, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. Yes, and she's dehydrated in severe liver failure, which is why she's not waking up. Um, she hasn't been drinking water because she's just been so uncomfortable which is what dehydrated her in the first place and they can only really make her comfortable they can't really fix her and again she's a dnr so they can't do any extreme measures she doesn't want any tubes or anything like that and at this point the girls are in the lounge being looked after by a nurse and the dad's or the husband says do everything you can i don't want her to suffer that's all you can ask for when you're in a situation like that uh, Abby discharges her PID patient, and Frank corrects Abby on the date. I, you see, one of the reasons I love Frank is because he's a science nerd, secretly. Because <laughs> Jupiter only has said Jupiter only has eight moons. You want me to name those? Yeah, I think this was <laughs> it. Does this was the moment that got me in the episode? Not only seeing him and Abby together on screen, and no, and fast forwarding to the moment that we get later with them, but also just like. The moons thing, I don't know, for some reason, it just made me want to, like, reach through the screen and give him a hug. Like, I just love this man so much. Because it's adorable. Man just loves his moons. <laughs> he has just, he has an impeccable comedic timing with it, too. Like, the, he's such a pro. I only know some of those because I watched The Expanse. So, yeah. and uh, the nurses are judging him and, for, and are glad he's a temp. Which, rude man loves the science they haven't had ganymede in the future once the epstein drive is discovered was created well ganymede will be the breadbasket of the outer of the outer planets they haven't had great luck with temp uh, desk clerks here so you know uh roxanne wasn't great and uh andrew wasn't great like they haven't haven't had very good amira's fine is she a temp is she canonically a temp? i don't, I don't know. know we i don't know that we, we don't really see her that much after this season do we uh, i think she might stick around into season eight but very infrequently like i think she's i, I want to say 2002 is where her her appearances trail off but i uh, could be wrong about that uh, again imdb was down tonight so i can't check things like that uh thanks imdb uh but <laughs> in any event uh, uh abby's pid girl collapses in the ambulance bay and this is where we learn her name kathy and, uh, of course, Malucci being the uh, resident, uh, supervising resident, he is listed as her doctor on her chart, even though he has not examined her yet. Uh, not great. Uh, they bring her into the trauma room, and uh, Abby, 
assesses, I guess, is the, the word that she has a tubal ovarian abscess, uh, and they are calling it uh, to get her up to an OR. Uh, and Abby tries you know, so, somewhat in vain to get Dave up to speed as they're going here. This is all moving very fast. And he actually mentions as they're rolling out of the trauma room that, like, holy shit, like, you picked up on that? Like, I wouldn't know how to pick up on that if it smacked me in the face. So, like, her, oh, she has some OB skills that, like, do transfer down to the ER, but like not as much as she thinks and like not it's it's not the catch-all that she seems to think that it is uh <laughs> then we get a very weird tonal shift almost like in a one shot where they go from focusing on uh malucci and abby to focusing on carter going back to check on his uh two patients in the exam room and he's humming to himself as he goes in and it's it's very like it's well done but it just um it gives me a very like ominous feeling as I'm watching it because you know how hard he's struggling and you know, like where we're headed with him. It just sets this very ominous tone with him. Um, but we learned that Mrs. Wyatt has not received her antibiotics yet. And he starts to ride Malik for not getting her, uh, the meds in the last 45 minutes, but he's been tied up with the asthma patient across the room, uh, which Carter also ordered, uh, very rigorous testing for. So, uh, Carter takes it upon himself to go get Mrs. Wyatt's meds for her. This will be important a little bit later. But Mark is back. Hey. Sort of. Like, he's on the phone. Is this, is this where he's on the phone mm-hmm. with the mortuary? Yeah. Yeah. Carol offers her condolences, and he wants David to be in a VA cemetery. Um, David didn't really advise his wishes before passing. Yeah. So, but Mark is pro- Hathavach. Hathavach. Excuse me. Hathavach. I mispronounced it. <laughs> Christian name, after all. Exactly. Other th- So this, other than the, the like, passing uh, comment or, or passing pleasantry at towards the end of the episode, uh, this is the last real conversation that Mark and Carol ever have on screen. Uh, this is the last time we ever see these two have a, a conversation, which again, sort of going back to, so a common thread in a lot of the listener responses that I read this week about this episode was that people sort of were, um, not, not like critical of, or, but just sort of wished that they had gotten to see Carol say goodbye to more people than just Luca. And in a way, again, going back to the parallels of the storm a little bit, I almost feel like you got Carol's goodbye or, or got that moment that you're searching for with Carol and Mark in that episode where Mark says to Carol, like, I would almost miss you more than him. You know, like yeah. y- you sort of get the like emotional payoff to that pairing a full season plus before she's out the door. Um, and it, uh, and that's kind of it. Like that's the big emotional payoff to that. A- everything after that. Uh, well, I guess he is there for the birth of the twins. Um, and that was sort of the last big um, Carol and Mark friendship moment but this is sort of kind of like a wet fart of a last you know thing it's like it's a very like just two people at work kind of conversation mm-hmm. uh, then we go over to Mrs. Brian is awake and Carol goes in to talk to her and has Connie get Carrie um, Miss O'Brien just wants to go home husband wants her admitted and Carrie checks with Miss O'Brien like what do you want what like what can we do for you so Brian's like, I just want to go home. And so Carrie advises home hospice care and begs Carol to just call social services and get it resolved because Carrie is having none of this today. She doesn't want anybody fighting back. She just wants people to do their fucking jobs, as was, you know, illustrated by this morning's whistleblow. Yeah. 
Carrie does a very good job. Like the 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 look of Carrie this episode is very uh good. Like she just looks worn out. Yep. Like, looks exhausted. Uh, but Carter goes back to check in on Mrs. Wyatt, giving her her antibiotics, and she starts to have trouble breathing. She's having an allergic reaction like she had when she was given Bactrin in the past and uh, told him that uh, previously had told him that she was allergic to sulfa. Uh, and uh, as he's trying to, like, manage the situation and kind of cover his ass, really, uh, in the middle of all this, his uh, asthma patient hit the call button because it looked and sounded like Carter needed some fucking help. <laughs> so he kind of did him a solid. Uh, and Malik and Chen come busting in and he just lies to them about what happened and then goes into the bathroom to have himself a little cry. Uh, well, the other part is there like, well, why would she rip her IV out? Right. Yeah. Cause she's bleeding from her arm. Cause he, he, he ripped her IV out, uh, to yeah, stop to the stop drugs the from going in. Uh, so like, I don't know. I, this is actually a really great moment. I think I, I really like this yeah. moment. Like it's, it's sort of the inevitable conclusion to what we've been seeing over the last couple of episodes, like of the build up to where the manic stuff is worn off now. And now he's like hitting that brick wall. And, uh, as much shit as I've, as much shit as we gave Anthony Edwards for crying, uh, in last week's episode, uh, you know, not being great at the fake crying. I think Carter's intense fake crying here is actually really good and very realistic and really brings the moment home. Uh, and let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Corday comes out to scold Abby and Malucci for not catching Kathy's mass. Why was a critical patient like this discharged from the ER? She wasn't critical at the time. Her vitals were stable. I thought it was PID. You didn't appreciate the mass on exam? No, I didn't. Who was supervising? You, Dr. Malucci? Didn't you appreciate anything? Uh, uh, no, I, I didn't. What were you wearing? Oven mitts? <clears throat> Actually, Dr. Malucci never had a chance to examine the patient. I think you two need a moment alone to get your stories straight. He didn't examine her because I never called him in. Have you recently and unexpectedly graduated from medical school, Ms. Lockhart? I thought my experience in OBGYN qualified me. Obviously, I was wrong. So you signed a discharge order for a patient you never saw who was examined and treated only by a medical student. This woman could have died, and you're years away from having the necessary experience to make these decisions. I know. Oh, good! I'd like a moment alone to speak with Dr. Malucci. Can I, can I say something? I, uh... I think your cause would better be served by keeping your mouth shut. When residents arrive here, we size you up. We have great hopes for you. We want you to succeed, but gradually over time and through interaction, we form opinions. Do you want to know the staff's opinion of you? You're lazy sloppy and your careless attitude towards your responsibilities as a physician endangers patients lives as witnessed today in other words none of us thinks you're much of a doctor the mama corday energy there is just radiant but two excellent lines there that i would love to take with me to my grave <laughs> what were you wearing oven mitts <laughs> with her particular brand of british is just mm, excellent but also, uh, your cause would be better served by shutting your mouth. <laughs> it's just like, ooh. Yeah. A lot of people need to be told right? that. Right? Oh, my God. I, 
I need to I need to figure out how to cross stitch that. Your cause would be better served by shutting your mouth. Ugh. Yeah. So good. But yeah, I I love the dressing down she gives because this is one of those moments where it's like we haven't seen Malucci do too much supervising and he kind of needed to hear it. Mm -hmm. And we haven't really seen uh, much of Corday in a position of authority either. Like we haven't really gotten to see her play the bad guy in a situation like this, like be the heavy. And she plays it really well. Like she's very convincing in an authoritative role. And like I'm a little scared of her. And like honestly, a little bit into it, like it's you know it's whatever. Like it's like <laughs> <laughs> we know you just love women who can kick your ass. We get it, Daniel. But yeah, no, it's it's an excellent moment uh, on all parts. Like I, I love it. I and I kind of like the the pairing of Malucci and Abby too. Like that's kind of a fun, uh, you know, Abbott and Costello act. Yes, absolutely. Um... But then Chen pulls Mark aside to talk about Carter's mood swings, because, again, she's nervous, and asks, like, hey, do you have a minute? And Mark pulls her into one of the exam rooms to talk, and she thinks maybe he's bipolar, because she looked at the DMSV. Yeah, so I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. She calls it the DMS-4 instead of its uh, correct name, the DSM-4. Uh, which I believe they're onto the DSM. Okay, five so that was now. weird. I think, the, I think the DSM four has been retired. I believe so. But uh, yeah, I was like, I, like I heard it immediately. And my ears perked up. I was like, that's not right. This is probably the one where tra- being transgender is still classified as mental illness. Yay. Maybe that. Yeah, you're maybe, crazy. Maybe crazy hot. That's why they retired it because that was wrong, and so now they have the DSM five. Is it still like that in the five? I don't know. I Jen has it in the living room. I could go check right now. Am I going to? Absolutely not. That's a huge book no. with no pictures. That's that's Patreon content right there. No, um, <laughs> we read the entire DSM five at the ten thousand dollar tier on Patreon.com. But but Mark kind of brushes it off as natural trauma response with what happened instead of like actually wanting to look into this more. And she's like, "But I think we owe him yeah. to take care of him and look into this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so she asks Mark if he's seeing it, if he's seeing a therapist or anything too. Right, she's not, she's not a hundred percent right either because she's on the bipolar track, um, which is more correct than where Mark is at. Like they're both raw, they're both correct and wrong in different ways. Um, but yeah, I think she is more, she's further down the road than Mark is. Mark is still trying to kind of brush it off as like, ah, you know, he's just sad. I don't know. Uh, But Carol goes in to check on Mrs. O'Brien. She's not improving very much, and they've called social services to get the hospice care set up. Uh, And Mr. O'Brien is uh, confiding in her, talking about how he, you know, spent too much time at work and should have spent more time with her. And in the middle of all this, uh, you know, very emotional talking, she uh, stops breathing. And the, the big problem here is that the daughters have been taken down to the cafeteria to get a snack. And they aren't here yet to say goodbye. So Carol, doing her best Doug Ross impression here, uh, has Connie go get Kovac and begins to uh, do CPR and uh, bagging. And when Kovac arrives, she asks him, uh, well, first Kovac is like, why are you bagging her? Like, if she's not breathing, let's intubate. And she's like, well, we can't. She has a DNR. Good, Carol. Then uh, she asks if they can do a nasal trumpet since it's not technically intubation. 
bad Carol. Good Carol, bad Carol. This is <laughs> this is where we 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 veer into bad Carol territory. We got to give her a Doug moment before she leaves. Jesus Christ! This is also the first time I've heard the word nasal trumpet, and uh, that was also my nickname in high school. If you're keeping track at home. Uh, but uh, Carrie bursts in, of course, in the middle of all this in true Doug Ross calamity fashion. Like, who else would walk into the room in the middle of a classic Doug Ross mess around uh, other than Carrie Weaver herself? Uh, she sees what's going on and is not thrilled, uh, hauls the other two, uh, Luca and Carol, over into the other trauma room uh, to dress them down. And he's like, <laughs> he tries to play, which granted, Carol put him in a shitty position here. Uh, but he's like, oh, like she's your patient to carry. Like he's like trying to play innocent and like, I'm not, I, I just got roped into this and well, you know, dude, she had to be somebody's like process of elimination. She had to be somebody's patient. She certainly wasn't yours. Uh, and Carrie uh, says that Carol shouldn't be working here if she can't respect her authority. And, uh, Luca walks away looking not thrilled. And, uh, I, I especially, I especially both love and hate, um, Carol's instructions to Connie to go get Kovach and tell her or tell him that it's her asking for him uh, because that feels especially manipulative on her part like that feels especially like yeah kind of gross and manipulative um, which we'll get into a little bit later sorry I was looking up the DSM-5 and transgender stuff now <laughs> now that we're talking about that they they changed the verbiage or they changed the they changed the word what it actually is but like there's still a couple of problematic things mixed in there that i won't go into but anyway uh research uh but corday comes down to talk to carrie about malucci and stops by to say hi to mark uh mark just has his dead dad in his trunk This this is so kind of a throw it's kind of a throwaway ashes. line. Yeah, I'm sure it's kind of a throwaway line, but I'm like the it's, fuck. Do they specify that it's his ashes? I mean, I'm, I'm it, they, it has to be. I mean, obviously at, it has to be. At the end of at the end of the episode, they do. But here, he just says, "Oh, my dad's body. My dad's in my trunk." <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like record scratch. Okay, hold the fuck up. <laughs> Uh, that's me. What? What? I bet, I bet you're wondering how I ended up dead in the trunk of my son's car. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, Rachel is with uh, Jen's parents, and Corday tries to return the pearls he received from David. I, I mean, she makes a good point. Like, and she and she tells him not to read too much into it, which is an, it, it leads to a, like a cute little exchange between them, but like. I, I see I Lizzie's do I do reasoning. That? Yeah. But yeah. I love when he's like, do I do that? She's like, yeah, yeah a lot. All the time. Um, but then we see Carol goes and approaches Luca in radiology. Luca lightly admonishes Carol for putting him in an awkward position. He's like, you can't do that. I'm really mad at you. You can't fucking do that. You can't use me like that. Like, you didn't give me the agency to make that choice for myself because you weren't honest with me. And it's so funny because it's like the shit that Carol yelled at Doug for. Right. Yes. And this is another one of the moments uh, that gets pointed out in that listener response. Um, it's almost a word for word lifting of the line from the storm yeah. where he says, but it's with the roles reverse. Like he says something like, she's like, I, I did what I thought was right. And he's like, and damn the consequences or something like that. Like who, who cares who gets hurt? And it is almost a word for word um, 
parallel to the line in the storm with Doug and Carol, uh, but with the roles reversed. So it's like, it's yet another one of those little parallels that I just love so much. Um, but Carol laughs and says, she'll never do it again. Cool. Okay. Again, this just kind of feels kind of icky. Like she's taking advantage of his feelings and I don't like it. Um, so Carol sees Frank reading to Mrs. O'Brien's daughters, which is very sweet. He's reading Goodnight Moon and my heart exploded a little. <laughs> And uh, she sits and talks to the eldest while Frank takes the youngest in to talk to Mrs. O'Brien. And there is a sweet moment of a child dealing with death because, of course, she doesn't want her mom to die. And, of course, I hated it and rolled my eyes because I have no soul and it made Lizzie cry because she's in a very different place in her life right now than I am. But this kid does a great job. I just am an asshole. It happens. Yeah. And these, these kids were pretty low on the uh, precocious child actor yeah. scale. Yeah. I just just wasn't having it. Nothing to do with them. I just wasn't feeling it. Fair enough. Uh, but we go back over to the trauma room now, the dark trauma room. Let's uh, point that out. Uh, and Mark finds Carter in there having just a sad time in the corner and uh, <laughs> tries to tries to you know just check in with him and see how things are going, see if he's talking to anybody. And uh, Carter uh, confirms that no, just kind of doing the dude thing and just uh, plugging along, pushing those emotions down until they turn into a tumor. And uh, Mark mentions that a Dr. Nadio gave him some psych referrals, which is quite possibly the most interesting little tidbit about this episode. And again, shout out to yet another one of our uh, listeners for pointing this out in their response uh, that apparently this is an entire uh, sub, not subplot, but like an entire character that is cut out of this episode uh, that was to be played by Sugar Ray frontman Mark McGrath. <laughs> there was supposed to be a psych resident uh named dr nadio in this episode that was supposed to be peripherally involved with the uh mark and carter parts of this uh situation and he was to be played by sugar ray frontman mark mcgrath that's okay they saw that they were doing a bush montage at the beginning right and they already they just had enough like, imagine if you just replace that first song in the episode with a sugar race. Like, what a... What, what? I just want to fly. <laughs> Except for Carter, it would be, I just want to die. Like, but, like... Me too. How, like... Sorry. What a, what a like, spectacularly 2000 pop culture uh, touchstone to have in an episode. Like, that would have made sense in no other context uh, other than this t- period in history. Like... Mark McGrath. I just can't imagine Mark McGrath a as an actor, but especially not as a doctor and be believable. No, like I, I mean, I I know Malucci's gonna have his uh, foray into frosted tips next season, but like I just am trying to imagine the frosted tips on a psych resident and like taking him seriously. It's like seeing. It's like when they had Ed Sheeran on Game of Thrones. It just completely like you're like what you're, no. you're taken out of the moment. No. Yeah exactly yes yeah i just i'm i'm sort of glad i mean it's surprising honestly that i mean i know this episode is very jam-packed um and also to keep in mind that we're just a few minutes away from the end of the episode and um to everybody but a very select handful um nobody knows about the three to four minutes at the end of the episode so i sort of wonder is this all just a practical joke on mark mcgrath <laughs> that they told him that he was gonna have a guest starring role on er but instead he's actually a red herring for george clooney <laughs> like, i i like that timeline a little bit better i think that's really funny that they just played a prank on this like douchey 
uh, loser uh, front man from the late 90s uh, just so that they could have a red herring to fit in uh, for their Clooney ending at the end of the episode. Uh, but yeah, Dr. Nadio. So it's come to this, folks. Let's go to our last audio clip and the last audio clip of Carol we're probably ever going to have. Well, until maybe. season 15. I'm sure we'll find a reason to shoehorn her in, uh, in that episode when she comes back. Yeah, but so Carol's in the trauma room cleaning up and Miss when Mr. O'Brien comes in. Excuse me, Miss Hathaway? I'll find you when I go. I just wanted to thank you for everything you did for us today. You're welcome. Do you believe that we have soulmates? That there's only one person we're supposed to find? Only one person we can really love? I didn't used to. But I, I, I do now. She was the love of my life. And I'll never love anyone again the way I loved her. Sorry. For what? I have to go find out. Find out what? If he's still in love with me. Because I'm still in love with him. I am. I've been in love with him since I was 23 years old. He's. He's everything to me. He's my life. I feel complete when I'm with him, and I feel empty when we're apart. He's the father of my children. And he's my soulmate. You'll find someone, Luca. You will. You're such a wonderful man. She's out there. I know she is. Someone will love you the way your wife loved you. She's out there, maybe even in the hallway, like 10 feet away. Lizzie made the same gun. I mean, it's right there. You get, you know, sometimes just because it's a softball doesn't mean you don't need to hit it out of the park. Sometimes you just exactly. need to take the pitch that's thrown. 
Mine's in Michigan recording this episode with me. Moving on. Um, so they, <laughs> I, I, I both admire and sort of like really detest the restraint that they showed to not play the Doug and Carol theme once. Like the Doug and Carol theme makes exactly zero appearances in this episode. I thought that that first ha- like first little chunk of this scene of this clip where like she's having that kind of aha moment as Mr. O'Brien is having his little spiel. I felt like that could have been a perfect opportunity to sprinkle that in, like just sprinkle it, give us a little bit of the old magic, give us a little, remind us kind of, you know, where we're going and what she's, what she's running towards. I felt like that could have been a really powerful moment, you know, that, that wouldn't necessarily feel overdone or or too cheesy. Um, I don't know. I just felt like that's the one thing missing from an otherwise pretty perfect final stretch of this episode. And, And really the episode overall is pretty close, pretty darn good. Um, but like, yeah. I just felt like that's the one little like thing that I would have liked to have kind of had the, the one little breadcrumb I wish they would have tossed us. I do love the, the music though, that they went with though. Yeah, yes. no, the music choice is fine. I mean, it's, it's perfectly good. It gets the, gets the point across, but I just, something about that, that, that music is just so magical. Like it's just, it has that sort of that, that je ne sais quoi about it. Like it's, it's good shit. How do we feel about how Carol let Kovach down? I mean, I like it. Yeah, best best you can do under the circumstances, I suppose. Like crying and kissing a man on the forehead. It, uh, the, the kiss on the forehead was a little <laughs> bit, you know, like oh, all right. It, it, it's like that Simpsons thing of like you can pinpoint the moment, the exact moment when his heart rips in half. <laughs> like it's a little bit of that, but so like the the kiss on the forehead might have been a slight bit of overkill. I mean, because I think based on the events of last episode. And certainly um, the beginning of this episode, I think Kovach is smart enough to know that the writing is on the wall here. Like this, this is not going to, this is not going to be his replacement family that he's so desperately looking for at this point. He's making an attempt, but he's also not like, oh my God, I need this. So, I mean, I do think that, yes, his heart is broken in that moment, but I don't think that it's like, I, I certainly, my memory of it was that it was much more devastating for him. And I think it's I think it's much more kind of like quiet resignation. Like, I think he sort of gets it like and is just like, yeah, it's fine. You know, whatever. Like he's upset, but not like overly so. And that's fine. Uh, but then, of course, because it's before 9-11, we have to have a run through the airport to her running to get to the gate. And she almost misses her flight. But she gets on and a woman in the seat next to her goes, you almost missed it. And she goes, yeah, I did. She also gets on a plane the size of a city block. Like, the amount of seats that are on that yeah. plane. Like, I would love to get an exterior shot of that plane because, holy shit. Like, I know there are big planes that, you know, for big cross-country flights or, you know, flights to Hawaii and stuff. Like, I know there's big planes, but this one seemed a little bit comically large. Uh, and uh, Juliana, Juliana Margulies' sister uh, plays the flight attendant who reaches over and tells her to buckle her seatbelt. So I thought that was a cute little touch bunch of hollywood nepotism strikes again fuck uh but then we have mark and rachel down on the river walk um mark wanted to show her david's favorite spot in the city she's like it's beautiful <laughs> and um he asks her i'm sorry he asks <laughs> get her your shots in to go now. To san diego with the, uh asks her if she wants to go to san diego with him to bury david's ashes by her grandma yeah she says that and would be great daniel and apparently he uh <laughs> gets the child mixed up in San Diego and just leaves her there, comes back with some other fucking kid because this is the last appearance 
of Rachel 1.0. Her and her stupid hat will be recast in between seasons. <laughs> Uh, and this is particularly egregious because this little clip here will be used in a previously on stinger uh, for season seven. And uh, they recast, they reshot it. Like they recast yep. the actress and reshot yep. the whole scene. And I'm just like, Oh honey, like that sucks. <laughs> like, I thought that was kind of a dick. Right? Punch. Like, Oh, talk about kicking her when she's down. Oh man. But, uh, yeah, this is the last time we will ever see Rachel 1.0. Uh, last thoughts on Rachel 1.0. I thought she did perfectly fine for what her job is to do at this point. I, I My opinion on Rachel's 1 and 2 is that they're both equally well-equipped to do the jobs they're given. Like, I don't think Rachel 2 would have been a very good Rachel 1, and I don't think Rachel 1 would have been a very good Rachel 2. Um, I, yes. just, I think that they were good enough at, at – they were perfectly cast for what they needed them to do, and the story – like it's unfortunate that the story didn't allow them to bridge that gap a little smoother or that they didn't look more like each other. Cause that's the other jarring thing about it is that Rachel two looks virtually nothing like Rachel one. Like they're pretty far apart in terms of physical appearance, but all white girls look the same, right? Daniel, apparently to John Levy when he's casting this fucker, cause like, <laughs> he's like, just give me another white girl. It'll be fine. Put a stupid hat on her. Nobody will be able to tell the difference. Make her a little older sprinkle. Yeah. So the, salt. That salt the gift. <laughs> I believe, if I remember correctly, I, I believe the next time we will actually see Rachel is in season eight. Even even mm-hmm. though they will touch on this moment in season, is it seven? Maybe it isn't until eight where they they actually do the little recast of the or the reshoot of this scene. Um, but so the next time we will see Rachel, she is quite a bit older because <laughs> Rachel here is about nine, maybe ten. Next time we'll see Rachel, she's like 14. <laughs> like she's aged five years in the space of 18 months. So that's a, we, we got to fast forward the story a little bit. She will be uh, quite a bit older and quite a bit more problematic uh, the next time we see her. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, no big inherent issue with Rachel. Warren. Yeah, she's, she's fine. She did her job. Uh, her, her AIDS quilt shirt will live on in infamy uh, from the pilot. Uh, uh, here it is folks. We've made it. We have made it to the mountaintop, uh, the end of Carol's time on the show. Uh, she pulls up to a house, presumably in Seattle, uh, with a three car garage. Very nice looking house. Uh, very beautiful house. That house is going to be like $10 million these days. Doug bought that new knowing, um, she and the girls were eventually joining him. Yeah, I mean it's a very ostentatious. It's right on the water, and like there's there's boats involved. Like this is a this is a, a speaking of estates. We talked about the Carter estate at the beginning of the episode. This is the Doug Ross estate. Like this is this is a beautiful <laughs> house uh, and home. Um, and uh, as uh, Lauren put it in the notes here, the million dollar Clooney cameo. Uh, and of course, the the whole time this scene is playing too, we're getting some more licensed music coming in. It's Don Henley song that the name is escaping me but somebody's gonna bring it up in the comments so i don't have to um but this is this is honestly again going back to all of the the things we've talked about the live episode the uh fucking alan alda like all of the times that you look at it and you just go like god damn they had the balls to do that or they had the the cash to be able to both both cachet and physical cash to be able to do these kinds of things because this is such a ballsy move um to go here um and that they were able to this is not the this is totally an of its time kind of cameo appearance that could not happen today like absolutely 100 percent would not be able to get this pulled off today because somebody would leak it 
it would end up on Twitter or it would just it would all fall apart. Like there's no way that this would be able to happen in any other time in history other than the year 2000. Um, but uh, Clooney was paid scale for this. This is not the million dollar cameo. He was paid uh, union scale. His his uh, conditions like he he had very specific conditions for wanting to come back to the show um, or that, you know, they they wanted him to come back. And he had very specific conditions on under which he would do it. Uh, he wanted to be paid scale. He wanted to he agreed on the condition that his name and face would not be used in any of the advanced promotion of the episode. So they could not use his name or his likeness to promote the episode ahead of time. If you see any promos that feature him in this episode, they are from syndication. Um, and nobody was allowed to know up to and including NBC. Uh, NBC was not clued in on this one. They talked to somebody at Warner Brothers who got them a private jet so that they could get uh, everybody up to this house in Seattle. I don't know why it had to be Seattle. I think it was, I mean, Seattle specifically, I think it was just they were looking for the water and you could have achieved that somewhere in California too. Um, but, and maybe too, people have joked too that it looks like he's on his lunch break from the Perfect Storm. And I think he was actually yep. filming Perfect mm-hmm. Storm around this time. So that's probably not too far off base. Um, but yeah, nobody. I want to watch that now. Nobody was allowed to know, including the executives at NBC who did not see it until it aired. Like, they did not get an advance cut of it until, like, so the NBC executives did not know about it until the episode aired. Uh, six people in total were in on uh, what the ending was going to be, including Clooney, Juliana Margulies, John Wells, a sound guy, a grip, and cameraman Guy B, who, if you'll remember from uh, our interview with him, was no longer on the show at this point, had moved on to do other things, and just so happened to have an afternoon free and could be in Seattle. And they were like, yeah, sure, guy knows what he's doing. Like, let's get him out to do it. So if you're watching that scene, when you watch Carol get out of the car and walk up to the house and walk around the side, that's Guy behind the camera uh, working it, uh, which I think is just such a lovely touch. Um, So he's brought in specifically to do this scene. They all had to sign uh, NDAs that they would not – disclose what was happening and they wouldn't tell anybody the ending until after it aired uh and that the uh footage or the film from the scene uh john wells kept it in his fridge until it was time to edit it and put it into the because he was so paranoid that it was going to get lost or it was going to get damaged uh so he kept it in his fridge until and they edited it into the episode like in the middle of the night like they went to the warner brothers lot at like two in the morning and edited it into the the cut of the episode and then delivered it. Uh, so it's pretty ballsy, pretty fucking ballsy. Kind of reminds me of the story with uh, Susan's departure. Yes, very, very similar. I mean, yeah, they had a history of doing things like this uh, and would do it again in the future. Uh, but um, yeah, I, it's a perfect moment. I mean, there's not really much that we can add to it beyond the sort of um, the fun trivia stuff, but like the moment itself is pretty darn close to perfect. Cause of course there's a shuffle in there. Oh, of course. Yeah. You had, you got to get yeah, one yeah. more for the road, you know, Got to get one more Clooney check. Add it to the... Add it to, add it the, to the compilation. Yeah, compilation. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think it's an excellent moment. I think it's incredibly well done. And I think for my money, it's up there with one of, if not the best uh, character send-off of anybody. Like, not very many people get their perfect happy ending the way that Carol does. Uh, and by extension, Doug, too. But, like, Carol especially. Like, this is her moment, first and foremost. And uh, it's just nice to see somebody finally get a happy ending for once on this fucking show. Agreed. And once again, Daniel is taking the words right out of my mouth, pretty much, and articulated it better than than my 
than my tired brain can can do at in this moment. Uh, how do we feel about the episode on a whole? Nine out of ten. Solid. Very very few complaint complaints, if any. I'd agree. There, it's a bunch of like little like it's a bunch of like little like minor stuff, mm-hmm. like like Carol kissing Luca and like a few little things here and there. But I wish they. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah, fantastic send off for Carol. Like that, like Daniel has already uh, described, and we're ramping Carter's stuff up nice for next yeah. episode. Yeah, and that. I'm ready. To, I'm fucking ready for the finale. Right. And that's another thing that, that people brought up in the comments too, uh, which uh, is another sort of ER signature, is that this episode is not the season finale. Um, and some people brought up that they felt like this episode could have been and maybe should have been the season finale, like that this feels like a moment that is sufficient to um, cap off a season. And uh, a lot of people push back on that in the comments of saying like um, – you know, a big part of what you're looking for from a season finale is something to hook you in for the next season and bring you back to the next thing. And while this is a great moment and is an undeniably like, holy shit, like, you know, that they got, they managed to get a Clooney cameo out of this. You would think that, that, that would maybe qualify as, as something like that. But the reality is, is that we're, this is an ending of a story. Like this is, you know, like somebody who, uh, another, I can't remember if I grabbed it for the listener responses or not, but somebody said that like, this is an excellent ending point for the whole series. If you don't want to deal with all the unpleasantness that is season eight. And, and like, if you don't like, if, if, if it doesn't matter to you that much to see Mark's slow March to the inevitable, this honestly, and if you're not that interested in, uh, you know, basically once Abby and, and Kovach kind of take over the brunt of they take over the Doug and Carol spots essentially later on. Like if you're not interested in those things, if you are so invested in the original six and you just want to see the closest thing to a happy ending for everybody involved, this is not a bad stopping point. Like this is not a bad, like you get to see the big realization of yep. the OTP. Yeah. Like if you don't want to deal with all the unpleasantness that comes afterwards, Maybe stop here. Maybe start it over with, you know, Mark getting woken up in the, the on-call room next episode and, and back at the pilot. Like, just start over from there. It's an, I, I like the way that you can sort of segment the show if you want. Like, you can say, like, from the pilot to here is a really solid show. Like, it might not be the all-time, like, juggernaut that ER is and that we think of as now. But, like, that's a really solid show. That's six seasons right there. Boom. Six seasons in a movie. We did it, gang. Like, <laughs> so I, I just think that's really cool the way you can do that. But yeah, I, I think other, th- I wish they hadn't overridden that lady's, uh, uh, DNR. That's my big com- takeaway. My big complaint. That's a, yeah. That's another complaint for but sure. Other than that, I think it's a solid like nine, nine and a half out of 10, I think. And I, and I'm just so in awe of the ballsiness to pull off the, the cameo at the end. I think that's super cool. Give me Mayday. Give me Mayday. I'm going to go watch Mayday right after this. Give me Mayday. <laughs> In my top 10 episodes of the series. So I'm excited. I don't know about y'all. Lauren, what would you, what would you rate it? I, I said I agreed with your nine. Oh, okay. And, all right. Uh, so it's come to this. Lauren's going to die here on <laughs> my right now. Uh, no, I've already, I've already agreed. I'm not going to go out valiantly. I'm going to tap out when I need to. So I'm Daniel and I are already agreeing to split this, uh, Daniel, I'll holler when I need oh, you. Okay. But right. 
But Lauren, what did the listeners have to say about at the, at, this? At, what, oh, or what two, didn't they have so to say? So two it. things, two things before we get into these, because I, I know we're all going to be exhausted by the end of this, and I and I don't want to forget. Number one, uh, we got maybe we maybe didn't get the most quantity of responses, but the length of these responses was intense. Like you all have clearly got very passionate opinions about Carol and her happy ending. And I'm very happy about that. Uh, but Holy shit. Uh, and so I have edited some of these for brevity. Like if, if we were repeating ourselves or if they're like, I tried to like, so if your if your response has been sort of, you know, I didn't change the meaning of anybody's words, but I just cut out some of the things where like we were repeating ourselves a little bit. So that's number one. Number two, before I fucking forget, uh, we were sent a copy of Julie, seeing as this is her last episode, yes. uh, we were sent a copy of Juliana Margulies's uh, autobiography uh, that uh, came out on paperback recently, and we were... Uh, Daniel, I love that you're waving it in front of the camera as if our listeners it's, can see It's more it. for my own... Uh, it's I for, it's, <laughs> So I stay on topic. Um, we were sent this, uh, this book uh, by her publishing company, uh, to give away to one lucky listener. Uh, and so we've been brainstorming for literally minutes about how to uh, <laughs> do this because I received this book weeks ago and forgot all about it until tonight when we were going to record this episode. Uh, so I think we landed on word search or crossword puzzle. What was the, what was the thing that uh, I was going to, I was going to create a crossword okay. puzzle and what, what my proposition is and Daniel edit around this if you don't agree but my proposition is we can come up with a crossword puzzle that will be posted at the time of this episode okay. release and we can have it like let's say 24 hours people can show their work right. whatever and of the people who've completed it in that day there will be a drawing for who gets yeah. the book so I, I think that's I think that's what we're gonna do uh, so it'll be a crossword puzzle of some kind, e an ER themed crossword puzzle, maybe yeah. a Carol, e maybe a Carol themed crossword puzzle. We, we we have to work out the details of it. Like I said, literally minutes we spent on this. Uh, so maybe an hour. So I was busy putting in all these listener responses into the doc. You spent an hour. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I spent maybe six minutes. Uh, so um, the uh, the main rule or the main like condition or catch with this is that, uh, and this is the publisher's rule, not ours. Uh, the winner has to be U.S. based. So if you are going to enter, if you want to just play for fun, that's totally cool, totally up to you, and we uh, we encourage that. Um, but if you want to be able to win the book, uh, you do have to be uh, have an address here in the U.S. Uh, so that we can send it to you. And and Daniel, am I correct? It's not. I'm not gonna say it's just a paperback, but it's just a paperback. Yes, nothing it, it signed, is just nothing. just the paperback version of the book. No no autograph. No uh, fancy four words or anything like anything. that uh, i read the book uh it's pretty good uh she does not mention er that often but uh it's it yes. comes up a few times so uh it's definitely I'm, worth a read i'm about two i'm about two-thirds of the way through it um i got her audio the audiobook version and her narration of it is lovely and the stuff about her childhood is really interesting yeah, she's so had a very I'd interesting say, life. guys i'd say it's fun to do um i'm probably going to be the one doing the crossword with Daniel and Lizzie fact-checking it and making sure I didn't miss anything or if there's any good hints. But, um, yeah, just, just even just participate for fun. And if you get the book, you get the book. Otherwise, it's just a fun community thing for us to do in a um, – I was going to say in a couple weeks. By the time this airs, that will be when we're yeah. doing this. So Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the, the main thing. And, uh, yeah, let's let's get into these wall of listener responses here because holy shit. I Melinda S. says, Sandwiching this episode with Bush and Don Henley is some of the best use of music in the series. Great song choices. 
The dark, desperate loneliness of letting the cable sleep 100% con contrasts the hopefulness and happiness of taking you home and really drives this week's theme and pacing of the show. Birthday girl Allie M says, I didn't appreciate this reunion fully until watching on Hulu about 20 years after it happened. I had only started watching ER in season six, so had no reference to the Doug and Carol era. I find it so moving now to see Carol go through the airport, which, had this happened even a season or two later, she would not be able to do, and eventually pull up to Doug's house and reunite with him. As an aside, I feel so bad for Carter in this episode, too, and how much he is struggling, yet tries to hide it until he breaks down in the bathroom and Mark goes to talk to him. And Carrie's whole tirade in this episode is highly quotable. Even Frank's response to Lydia. She uses a whistle? Can't forget the return of Frank. Angela G says, Would it have been too cheesy for this to have been the season finale? I don't know why I expected one more episode from Carol after this, but I did. And when she wasn't in the next one, her exit felt unfinished to me. Maybe I thought she would say goodbye to more people other than Luca. Kathy A says, Ah, life was grand before the spoiler era, wasn't it? I still remember dancing around my Daytona Beach hotel room, so very satisfied with this happy ending. Although he kind of looked like he was on his lunch break from a perfect storm. Michelle K says, I remember watching this live and screaming when I realized it was actually Clooney and not some faraway stand-in. Carol's goodbye to Luca broke my heart. Both Juliana and Gor I can never Goran. say his name. I don't know why I always want to say it the other way. Goran, do such a do such great face work in their acting. You could see that Carol cared about Luca, but she never loved him, and Luca's realization that Carol was leaving and his heart breaking. Haley Kay says, I love that for one last time we get to see Carol be who we know her to be, to see her kind and loving heart and her desperately wanting to give that family one last chance to say goodbye. It's her way of showing us that what she, it's her way of showing us what she's feeling on the inside that she doesn't want her girls to have to ever go through that. The end scene with her and Luca is so sad and so well acted. I actually used that scene for an acting class once. And finally, the return of Doug. The ending surprise still makes me smile like an idiot even though I've seen it so many times. It's so beautiful. I'm still upset we never got to see Tess and Kate with their dad, but that's what fanfic is for. Insert shameless self-promotion here. I'm sad to see Carol go, but I know it's for an amazing reason. Her leaving was the moment it finally felt real to me that we were entering a new era of ER, but I'm excited for what's to come. Heather R. says, Don Henley's Taking You Home was an absolute chef's kiss for the ending sequence. Man, there are some really good music choices this season and throughout the series. I thought this was a great goodbye for Carol and obviously what all the fans wanted, right? Most of them anyway. Uh, when she ends up choosing Doug in the end. And like I said, the music makes it so good. If I can get nitpicky, though, I often wish we got more goodbyes slash scenes with other characters when various characters leave the show. Uh, like with Mark here, Case Carol basically says, call you from the plane, and that's it. Uh, we deserved more for these two really good friends. Uh, but I will say their scene after the storm in season five when Mark thinks thinks that she's leaving for Seattle was great, saying, I'll miss you more than I'll miss him, uh, meaning Doug. Plus, they had a lot of great scenes together post-Doug, especially in Great Expectations, so I guess we'll just have that. 
Anyway, I know it's a TV show and there are various storylines to show each episode and stuff gets edited out for time, etc. I just always want more when a character leaves. Give me a scene where she says a proper goodbye to all the nurses she's been on the show with for the last six years. Maybe a scene with Carrie or Carter too. Uh, even Elizabeth since they had a bit of a nice friendship. But like I said, that's all pretty nitpicky and I get it. I've already stepped on the great reunion too much, although her just hopping on a plane across the country is very much a made-for-TV thing. Since we don't see the twins here, I really do appreciate that the writers acknowledge them with the dialogue, where are the girls, uh, with my parentheses never to be seen again for the past year or so, mom. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, she's right on all points. I would have liked to have seen some more, a uh, little bit more of the goodbye stuff, particularly the nurses is a good point. Uh, yep. Just a further kind of uh, overshadowing of the background nurse over the last year or so. Absolutely. Um, my Twisted Logic says, My time has finally come. For years I've been going nuts with all that happens in this episode, and in my last rewatch I found out something new that I'm like the Charlie Day meme. No conversation about such sweet sorrow is complete if you don't bring the storm to the table. Both episodes are so entwined that it clearly shows the writer's ability and intention to deliver full circle with Doug and Carol's stories. We're getting a closure to what started in the storm. Now Carol is the one calling the shots, doing the same things that led to Doug's departure, and I love how she's the one saying the same lines Doug said to her in the storm. Now she's saying it to Luca, word for word. Of course, both episodes were written and directed by John Wells, so we know there was nothing left to chance. It was really well planned. What truly broke me in my last rewatch was the moment I realized the same background score was used in both episodes. Doug talking to Joy after Ricky dies, before shit hits the fan, and hours later he resigns from County, and he and Carol are separated for over a year. The beginning of the end for Doug is also their new beginning in such sweet sorrow, of their lives together when Carol finally admits to herself she's still in love with him and that he is her soulmate. I just love the fact that both scenes take place in Trauma 2. Note, yeah, further along there will be episodes with parallels or echoes, like Orion in the Sky, You Set the Tone, and The Letter, Carter's Speech to Gallant, with the pilot, also and in the end. But it's nice to see the way it ties into Doug and Carol's farewell episodes. Anyways, about the reunion, it truly shows Wells, Margulies, and Clooney's commitment to get a proper ending to these characters and give the audience what they wanted all along. They were on the same page to be able to pull it off and got away with it. You don't see many TV pairings actually getting their HEA, and it's so iconic to this day. Happily ever after. <laughs> All right, I'm hopping in because there's so gosh darn many of these. Um, at Leah1989 on Twitter says, When we originally saw Carol arriving at that home, it was a holy shit moment of, hold on, are we actually going to see her with Doug? And there he was. With a slow saunter over and cast and the casting down of his gaze as he so often did. I mean, come on. Losing that duo was a blow. And the Doug Carroll score that we don't even hear at the, in this episode, catch it on the flip side and see catch it on the flip side in season fifteen, I think. I guess we let it slide because taking you home has created such a moment. Emphasis on the word moment. As side notes, Carol rushing by the gate agent who hardly looks at her boarding pass felt like such a glimpse back in, into the world before September 11th and her message to Luca that he'd meet someone who'd love him like his wife did. Little though we, did we know, he's already met her. 
Always a fan of the opener showing everyone waking up. There's something about those shared ordinary moments that I can't quite put my finger on. The Lydia, Halle, Abby banter was so expertly delivered and Carter not sleeping. We know where that's going. Finally, Carrie was killing it with her drill sergeant scene looking for everyone. And I appreciate and I appreciate her so much more than I did originally. At Grace on Discord uh, says, I know it's Carol's episode, but that whole sequence with Halea, Lydia, and Abby and the way they shot the way they're shot in the ambulance bay and then transitions to Mark is all chef's kiss. Also, I've decided that the twinkles creep me out. <laughs> it's all Daniel, so I'm gonna blame Daniel for that one. Uh, they sneak up on you, they're unexpected, and they kind of make my skin crawl because I'm not used to them. <laughs> Tired of pissed, uh, tired pissed off Carrie is going to be my new serotonin source, and our introduction <laughs> to the desk clerk model of Frank, and our introduction to the desk clerk model of Frank is straight man gold. Also, I know Jing Mei has already pinged our Carter radars of concern, but this was the first episode where I really noticed the foreshadowing for myself. Round of applause for Noah Wiley's ability to fully embody such a hair-raising frenetic energy. At Microplastics804 on the Discord says, I have a lot of feelings, but I'll try and keep this comment limited to what I haven't seen raised yet. One, when Mark told Carol that Lucas saw the twins enough to know that Tess was teething, I died. I would have enjoyed more of Mark lightly razzing Carol on whatever was developing between her and Luca. While I know this is about Carol and Doug, the idea of Luca and Mark possibly becoming friendly as well is intriguing to me. Add Miss O'Brien to the list of patients whose DNRs are disregarded by county's ER staff. The older daughter who says it's her job to bring her mom's things with her breaks my heart every single time. This farewell episode and Carol's Patient of the Week subplot were not at all subtle, but I always get excited to hear the Doug and Carol theme that plays as Mr. O'Brien thanks her for helping his wife. And then we get Carol running through the airport for love. Excuse me, Carol's exit was one of the two most satisfying main character exits, the other being Peter's. Her reunion with Doug is barely a secret back in the day, but there's no way the show could have pulled it off now as quietly as they did back then. Two, when Dave told Carter he had pit tickets for Rage, I thought, wow, I'm in love. I dare you to imagine Dave bopping around to testify and not laugh. Anyway, to quote my friend who was surprised by how much she liked him this season, if I received an absolutely cutting lecture like that from Elizabeth Corday, I would absolutely fix my life. Even at the wise old age of 13, I really thought this moment would be the kick in the ass and the catalyst for Dave to step up in season 7. It felt like the setup for a growth arc, and I still wish we could have seen over time how he responded to this very necessary feedback. I have to note that as much as I enjoyed him, I would not have wanted him supervising me. I think I think that I could imagine uh, Malucci being one of those guys now on Twitter who is surprised to learn what the machine was they were raging against. <laughs> like, I yes. can totally see him being one of those people who's like, why are they so political now? I just, like, want to, like, fucking rock out, you know? Yep. The irony of, like, uh, someone like Paul Ryan being a fan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. By the way, check out the deleted scene with Dave and Abby. It's quite interesting to take in because they didn't interact too much on the show and Dave was usually being chaotic or stupid. A little bit of this dialogue was lifted almost exactly for a Luca and Abby scene in the season 7 premiere. People people always uh or not always, but like people often pester us that we should do deleted scenes content for Patreon and we may just have to do that at some point because I'm like why I just have rips and like or i watch it on hulu or hbo max so like 
those I don't have the DVDs, so like those aren't really like readily available to me. But I would love to like dig into a little bit because it would be interesting to see what kind of stuff does get left on the cutting room floor, whether it was worth uh, keeping in or not in a in a world where they had infinite time per episode. We got those DVDs, yo. Um, Three, this episode was packed, which is mostly which is most likely why some things were left out, such as the guest appearance of one Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. He was supposed to play someone called Dr. Nadio, but that that was all we knew. And then we briefly heard Mark tell Carter, Dr. Nadio gave me some names, but we didn't see him. I remember this announcement circulating a bit prior to air, but the only evidence that remains is an MTV News blurb linked in the comments. Back then, Ming-Na's official website even had a photo of her and Eric Palladino with Mark McGrath outside the soundstage. I wonder if anyone else remembers this supposed guest appearance or remembers hearing more than I it do. It feels like a fucking like, entourage episode or something. Like They created this entire fantasy where Mark McGrath was going to get a guest spot, but it was really just to distract from the fact that they were secretly bringing in Clooney in the back door. I just... Uh... I love it so much. All right. Last but certainly not least, at the full-time dad, from the opening chord of Bush's Let the Cable Sleep to the final notes of Don Henley's Taking You Home over the iconic reunion of George Clooney and Juliana Margulies, ER really sticks the landing on Carol's Farewell, one of my personal favorite episodes. First, there's Carol's Goodbye. Season six saw her give birth to twins, but for large stretches feel out of place in the rapidly expanding and changing cast dynamic. ER gives her the spotlight in her penultimate turn. She, of course, returns to us in season 15. Uh, gives us a very emotional storyline between uh, she and the family losing their matriarch and the epiphany needed that it's time as well as a sweet resolution between her and Luca. I giggle at the airport scene because I'm reminded that it was once that easy to board one-way flights in pre-9-11 America. And then there's the reunion, another feat that couldn't be accomplished today in an era where Hollywood has few secrets and entertainment websites and TV shows leak more than Deep Throat. It would be next to impossible to shroud the return of arguably the f most famous alumni of the most popular show on TV from not only the public, but show and network executives as well. Think about that. That's exactly what the small crew was able to do on the shore of Lake Washington with a single camera and union scale pay. But beyond ER's happy, best happy ending, we also said goodbye to Rachel number one, Yvonne Zima, and said hello once again, uh, hello again, to Troy Evans's Frank Martin, who will soon become a fixture in the show's supporting cast. Corday absolutely eviscerates Dave's incompetence, which is a theme that will only grow louder in season seven, and we really start to see Carter's alarming behavior with the Bactrim case. Chen was right to think manic depression, but as we know, the truth is just around the bend. And finally, let's just bask in the beauty of the show's cold open and closing sequences and see how beautiful diegetic licensed music can be when used correctly. We'll miss you, Nurse Hathaway. Go get your kids and start that new life. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 45 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member and whose fix are those where Lauren reads some ER fan fiction. Also, you can look forward to the Carol retrospective. Sometime, it, will, this, will the Carol retrospective be out this uh, Saturday? Uh, yeah. Yep, so uh, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, you should have the Carol Retrospective on the Patreon side uh, this Saturday. 
We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast. And we are at setting the tone podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official setting the tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Laura, where can folks find you and your majestic hair? Why, thank you. Uh, they can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. Guys, I'm back on our wrestling bullshit real hard. AEW's latest pay-per-view was dope. Yeah, we are fully, we are like caught up with AEW and current now. So so good. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at randomgamer, that's J-A-M-3-R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.